Welcome to the Awake Church Podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. So we have a, a wonderful friend and guest with us here today, um, Dr. Michael Brown. He's been here several times before, known him for several years, and uh, I just so appreciate him. If you haven't had a chance to hear him or know about him, um, he has been a believer for a long time, since he was 16, got saved radically, and is really a father in the faith. Uh, he's an author of over 40 books, some great books. Um, one of the first ones, actually probably the first one I, I did read was the one you wrote in 92, Our Hands Are Stained with Blood. It's a powerful book. Um, he's written many, many more since then. He really speaks into our, our culture of the day, and I so appreciate the truth that he brings in love. If you listen to his radio show, he's on the Truth Network here, 97.7 is what my dial is tuned to for that, between 3 and 4, Monday through Friday. So you can listen to him, and the way that he treats people is so with respect, love, but then truth comes through too. And I really, really appreciate it. Um, he's a theologian. He leads... Um, a Bible school called Fire School of Ministry. I've been up, you know, there years ago as well. And uh, just so appreciate he and his family, his love for Jesus. He's one of these solid, stable people who is leading in truth with love and is full of the Spirit at the same time. We're one of those rare people. I so appreciate him. He cl he's close to here. He's just over an hour from here. Um, so really thankful. I want to introduce Dr. Michael Brown. Come on up. Let's welcome him. Appreciate it. Morning, folks. It is wonderful to be with all of you, but that intro has me thinking. Um, did you not invite me to your house this afternoon? That never happened. Okay, I must just be in the air, in the dream air somewhere. Uh, okay, no, that. Let me just say this I, I have some friends that over the years, have had extraordinary prophetic dreams, and it's just been mind-boggling to see how God has spoken and revealed things and, and how they've learned to understand the Lord. Uh, I'm glad that most of my dreams are not prophetic, otherwise I would have missed a lot of flights. And uh, I can't tell you how many times when I was getting ready to preach at a major meeting, I'd have a dream that I got up to speak and they were expecting these massive crowds. First, there's nobody there, and then second, I have nothing to say. And it goes on kind of endlessly. And then you wake up and thankful it was only a dream. So there's probably some interpretation for me there, maybe some healing I need of some kind. So you can let me know. But anyway, so it's not your house today. We're clear. All right. Hey, let me just do this really quickly. Uh, Stu, just run up here for a second. Um, if you've ever listened to the Truth Radio Network, and there are many fine people, this is the man behind it all. And uh, here, all right, there we go, straight up. Okay, okay. Um, this is the man that got me on the air uh, over 13 years ago, and we've been on every every day since. Just greet everyone for a second. And there you go, Truth Network. There, never ashamed to let it, let, let folks know in case they don't know. Well, praise the Lord, Dr. Brown. What a blessing, and what Matt said about speaking the truth in love. Amen. We need more of that, and I love. I love it when a pastor has 97.7 on his presets. 
a little bit of heaven on 97.7. <laughs> but you can, you can hear, you can just hear the, the good news. And, and I also, I love it, but also I have uh, a little fear and trepidation because these pastors will call me and say, Stu, what is that program? What are you putting on there? So but we want to be an open door. We want to hear, hear your feedback. And we, we just love having a man of God like Dr. Brown, what a blessing, who is willing to talk to someone who many of us would say, that's an enemy. I go into the coffee shop, they come in, I go the other way. This man goes right to them to bring them to Jesus. And you've heard the show, if you haven't, you're in for a blessing. But this is why we exist, because there's still 2.5 billion people on planet Earth who've never heard the gospel. So when I see this massive missions a wall there, right in your lobby, I, I got excited. I just jumped up and down as best I could on this gimp for what God is doing and how God is using that and using this man of God and this church. So thank you, Dr. Brown. It's just an honor to, and for, for you to surprise me to come up here and say hello. So. Appreciate it. By, by the way, Stu is known in the industry as Little Stu. Uh, that's because his dad was a pioneer in this. But anyway, thanks, man. Appreciate it. So Truth Network is a bunch of different states. It continues to grow, and, and uh, it's been a joy to partner with them. Uh, okay, let me just mention this quickly, and then I've got an important message uh, for you. Thanks for having me. It's always been a joy to be here with Pastor Matt and the, and the congregation. I pre appreciate your openness to the Lord. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, my most recent book came out. It's a real eye-opener. It's one of these things, page after page, you'll, you'll be shocked as you read, and then full of encouragement and hope as you go on. It's called The Silencing of the Lambs. The ominous rise of cancel culture and how we can overcome it. Uh, things in many ways are far worse than we know with a real attempt not just to marginalize us, but to cancel our voices. And this will lay things out for you from children's schools up through big tech and a host of other places. But the second half of the book is filled with how we overcome this. Strategies and, and mindsets by which everything meant to bring us down can be turned around for good. And this is the first book I can remember writing where people want to do interviews about the cover. It's just an amazing cover, and hopefully the book as well. So that is available. A few months before that, uh, the book Revival or We Die came out. Uh, a Great Awakening is Our Only Hope. I, I believe it's the most important book I've written in revi on revival in over 25 years. It'll stir your heart afresh. It will take you into eyewitness accounts of what God's done through history and then we'll stir you to, to be part of what's coming next. And then before that was, has God failed you? Finding faith when you're not even sure God is real. And that deals with the, the real life crises that we go through and the questions that come up and, and the real issues that we're often afraid to talk about. I, I believe when I was here last time, I, I spoke on the theme of permission to doubt. So have mercy on those who doubt. So those are the three most recent books. If you get them together, uh, we'll give you a free book, this one, Compassionate Father, A Consuming Fire, Engaging the God of the Old Testament. Is the God of the Old Testament really the same as the God of the New Testament? And how do we deal with some of the difficult passages and things it says about him? So you'll find these books super helpful. And for those watching online, you think, well, I, I'm not here to get this in the free book. It so happens that the publisher has the ebook of Revival or We Die on sale for 99 cents until April 2nd. So take advantage of that on Amazon. 
uh, if you're online. Otherwise, you can grab these books afterwards. And what, Christmas is here any day. It's, well, it's, you get, get, get prepared. Uh, so get hold of these books. I believe they're really ministered to you richly. And Brandon, let me just give these to you. Thanks. Okay. And then last thing, jot this down, April 14th. So a little over two weeks from now, April 14th. Think of Esther 4.14, where Mordecai says to her, could be that you've come into the kingdom for such a time as this. The more society tries to silence us, the more we need to raise our voices. And our most fundamental message is we're here, we're not ashamed, we love Jesus, and we love you. God laid it on my heart in writing Silencing of the Lambs to proclaim every April 14th, not ashamed of Jesus Day. And you say, well, we should, we should do that every day. True. But you probably have no idea if you're in a big workplace, how many other believers are there? And you may have also maybe kind of coasted under the radar so as not to draw a controversy around yourself, whereas we're supposed to take our light out and shine it for everyone to see. So what we're encouraging everyone to do on that day is just go out of your way to be a public witness. The cat will be out of the bag, so to say. You may be encouraged to find out how many other folks on your campus are believers or in the workplace. If you don't have a uniform, you could wear something that identifies your faith or, or bring a Bible or, or look for an opportunity to witness or post something on social media. And it's just a way of saying, look, there are tens of millions of us. There's no reason for us to be cowering in the corner. So go to notashamedofjesus.org. You'll get all kinds of encouragement all kinds of ideas, things you can do, notashamedofjesus.org. All right, with that, let's, let's pray. Father, we love you and we honor you. And even though we've done this thousands and thousands of times, been in services, heard messages, we take it seriously. And we ask you to give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. Give us open hearts to receive Influence our wills to obey. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to start in Psalm 23 and then go through a lot of other scripture this morning as we talk about God's grace in the deepest and darkest valleys. I am a super optimistic, positive person. In fact, a few years ago, one of our grandsons, when he was 14, he said to me, Grandpa, sometimes you're just too optimistic. That's just in my blood, and it's part of my relationship with God. And yet, often in Scripture, God talks about things that are negative and that are difficult and that we would rather not hear. But that's real life. Real life is not just kind of skipping through the rose gardens and singing. And Jesus, before his death and resurrection, tells his disciples in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be encouraged, I've overcome the world. And as Paul was ministering to believers in Acts 14, the 22nd verse, he says that we must pass through many tribulations in our journey into the kingdom of God, paraphrasing his words there. And it's not long before that, that Paul has been stoned and left for dead, and he may have still looked pretty bad. 
And he's saying, hey, it's not all a walk in the park. That's the reality of this world. But the positive is that with God, we overcome. The truth is not that we get to escape trial and difficulty. There are certain theologies that are preached in such a way that you think once I get saved, it's it. I'll just always prosper. I'll always be healthy. Everything will always go fine. And then when trials and tests come, people are shocked and they fall away. Many people fall away because of bad teaching and bad theology. So they have false expectations. They're expecting to never go through certain things, or they're expecting if they go through it, they will automatically be delivered. And we do have many wonderful and great precious promises, but the fact is we don't always get delivered the way we expect. And along the way, we go through hard times and difficult times that press us further than we thought we could be pressed. That's reality. In fact, that's the pattern for the human race. The good news is, God is with us. The good news is he gives sufficient grace in the midst of every situation to carry us through. And when we learn to find strength out of our weakness, it's life transforming. It's absolutely life transforming. So Psalm 23. Hey, would it be all right if I, if I quote it in Hebrew, then read the English? Is that all right? Plus, you won't know if it's tongues or Hebrew anyway. But just when I meditated on, I meditated on, meditate on the psalm in Hebrew. So it starts, Adonai ro'i lo'ech sar. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. That's a beautiful picture. You ever just stopped and meditate on that and, oh, causes me to lie down in green pastures, so luxuriant, so much to feed on. Leads me beside still water, so calm and peaceful in the midst of the storm. I remember one time I, I was doing a workout at my house. There was a believer, a friend of mine who was a trainer, had some extra time, and he'd come over and really put me through this vigorous, miserably difficult workouts. And, and then we're finally done. He'd say, okay, now we just end with a wall squat for a couple of minutes, whatever it was. And I remember sitting there and, and you know, my legs were burning and body was starting to shake and as this wall squat's going on. And, and I, I just decided I, I want to try to find another place in my mind. I want to see if this works. And I just started quoting Psalm 23 in Hebrew and suddenly this tremendous peace came and I felt I could sit here all day. And, and there is this spiritual reality, not just in a momentary thing during a wall squat, but, but in, in, in the midst of every kind of storm, that there is this place he brings us to. And you can't really describe it, especially to someone who doesn't know the Lord, but it's that real. But hang on, that's not all that's written. Even though or even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death or, or the valley of deepest darkness, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Why does that verse have to be there? Why can't we just live in the green pastures and by the still waters? Why do we have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death? 
Why do we have to go through deep darkness? Why do we have to go through a place where it's only natural to have fear? I remember hearing a Bible teacher from Australia decades ago saying wherever he reads in the word, the, the, those, those, those verses that say, fear not, he gets an uneasy feeling in his stomach. Fear not. You know, I've been traveling around the world for decades and love to fly, love to get on a plane and go somewhere, just, just enjoy it. It can be long and arduous sometimes, but normally just enjoy doing it. What if right before the flight, my wife Nancy calls and says, "Hun, I just, but just don't be afraid. Don't, don't, don't be afraid. What do you mean don't be afraid? I'm, I'm not, a, why would I be afraid? What do you mean don't be afraid? And the next thing I get a text, Mike, I've been praying for you. The Lord just told me, tell Mike not to be afraid. By the time you get four of those messages, you're like, I'm afraid. <laughs> What's coming next? Maybe I shouldn't be on this plane. The fact is, God is telling us we will go through fearful situations. We will go through situations that in the natural, it's logical to fear, except we don't fear because God, our shepherd, is with us. I've often told the Lord in prayer when I'm going through difficult situation and trying to figure out the right way, and I'm not sure which is the right decision or the wrong decision. I often remind him, Lord, I'm just a sheep. I really don't know much. And often, I'm hard of hearing. So I'm asking you to do what you need to do as the shepherd to communicate to me the sheep. And sometimes, he's probably shouting out to us, and we hear a faint whisper. But he knows how to communicate with us. My entire confidence going through a deep, dark valley, the valley of the shadow of death. My entire confidence in going through that as a sheep is in the shepherd. I have no confidence in myself. I have no confidence in being able to ward off those enemies. I'm just talking about Psalm 23, the mentality. The reason I don't fear is because God, the shepherd, is with me. And his rod and staff bring comfort. He can keep me in line. He can ward off the enemy. That's all I need to know. We will, all of us at some point or another will go through valleys like this, sometimes for extended periods of time. And we're always waiting for the situation to change. We're always waiting for things to get better around us. Sometimes they don't. What changes is us. What changes is God's presence with us. And when we have that, we're in, we're good. Then he says this, Taruch lefanai shulchan, Naked sir, I, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. What a picture. We have enemies all around us. And yet he causes us to feast and gives us vindication and grace right in their midst. Wow. To the point that we say, my cup overflows. These are consecutive verses. And sometimes it's right in the midst of the valley that he prepares a table for us. Adonai 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Hebrews more visit, vivid, will, will pursue me. Think of that. Goodness and mercy chasing you down all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. One of the greatest weaknesses in my life over the years has been self-confidence, meaning I trust God, I trust his working in my life, I trust his power, I trust his wisdom, and on a certain level, I trust abilities he's given me. Now, obviously, we know he's given us abilities, each of us, and, and those are blessings, and we use those abilities, but there can sometimes be a subtle mixture between self-confidence and God-confidence, especially when it comes to ministry assignments and things like that. If you sit down and talk with Stu that just chatted with us before, if you talk with Stu, you'd know he's done radio for years. You could sit him down and talk about any number of subjects, and he can do a radio show on the fly. I've had times in the past where when I was on radio two hours a day, and it happened to be a day when we had guests lined up for both hours, so I didn't prepare anything else, nothing prepared whatsoever, and, and last minute find out that there was miscommunication with guests or, or something happened to them, and there are no guests, and suddenly we got two hours to fill. No problem. I'm a talker. And when I went on radio, and I knew it was a divine calling, in fact, the day that the Stu asked me to come on the air, I had journaled that he was going to ask me. We'd never even talked. But I, I knew, I knew it was divine calling for years. Nancy and I sat down, and she said to me, you know, you have to be really careful here. Because you could do a good radio show without God. And there are plenty of people who are successful and influential, but it's not because of God, and it's not a God influence. Now, look, if, if your main ministry was praying for people terminally ill, it's either God or it doesn't happen. You can't talk someone out of a terminal disease. I'm a good talker. That, that's not going to raise the dead. But, but if you're doing things that you could also do in the natural, it's easy and a subtle way to put your confidence in yourself rather than leaning on God. You know, it's, it's just like if someone had, was the worst singer in the world unless the Holy Spirit came on them, and they're about to do a solo before some famous preacher preaches, and they think, God, if you don't help me, it's going to sound terrible. Someone else has the world's most beautiful voice. They just begin to sing, and you weep, even if they're singing about carpet. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? That person, that second person, has to really rely, Lord, anoint this voice you've given me. Lord, may you sing through me. And, and that was something over the years that God had to teach me. And, and, and he taught me by bringing me to the end of myself. Can I be candid? I do not like crucifixion. I, I would much prefer living a life without it. However, what you learn is without crucifixion, you don't come to resurrection. Without coming to the end of yourself, without coming to that place where you recognize that in yourself you can't survive, or in yourself you can't make it, or in yourself you cannot accomplish God's mission, it is out of that weakness that supernatural strength can come, and it's glorious and beautiful and wonderful. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 
2 Corinthians chapter 1. And look at what Paul writes there, beginning in verse 3. 2 Corinthians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, I've thought of this verse over the years and, and said, okay, we go through something difficult so that we can comfort others who, have gone, who are going through something difficult. We go through it, God helps us, now we can help others. Why doesn't God just end the difficulties? Won't that solve it? Instead of I have to go through something miserable and God helps me so I can help you as you're going through something miserable, why not just end the misery? Because that's this world. That's the reality of this world. It's a fallen world, and until Jesus comes, that's the reality. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Now look at this. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our, beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Whatever they went through, it got so bad that they concluded, this is it. It's over. It's, we have reached the end of ourselves. We are going to die. It's over. But look at this. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. It was only when they got to that extreme breaking point when they lost all hope in life and thought, it's over, we're going to die. The only one they could trust in is the God who raises the dead. And that's when you come into supernatural strength. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You must also help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. On the one hand, nobody wants to go through what Paul went through. Nobody wants to suffer what his companions suffered. No one wants to get to that absolute breaking point where you think it's over. Can't take it anymore. I can't handle it anymore. The pressure is too great. The crisis is too severe. It's too long. It's over. No one wants to get to that point, but on the other side of it is resurrection life. I mean, in this world, while we live here, on the other side of it is God's grace carrying us. And one of the best things is to be absolutely honest with God. I mean, we go through all our confession, we go through all our declaration, and we're more than conquerors, and nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, and we're overcomers, and all these things that are absolutely true, and yet it seems we've hit a wall and it seems there is no hope, and it seems light's not coming out of darkness, and God doesn't seem to be with us in the valley of the shadow of death. And it's out of that that we take hold of something where it's only God. There's nothing else to hold on to. And at that moment, it's glorious. 
At that moment, you say, it's worth it all. At that moment, you're given wings to fly. Let me stay here in 2 Corinthians. In fact, let me back up to 1 Corinthians. Let me show you a, a theme that's an amazing theme in these books. Corinth was a great city in ancient Greece. It was known for speakers with their great rhetoric. It was also, <coughs> excuse me, known for its athletic games similar to the Olympics. And it seemed that the believers in Corinth were really enamored with the big shots, with the celebrity preachers, so to say, with the ones that Paul referred to facetiously as super apostles. And he kept coming back with a different theme. He kept coming back with an opposite theme right in the very first chapter of 1 Corinthians. Here, we'll, we'll go to verse 20. Where's the one who's wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Verse 22, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And he says, look at your own calling. You know, how many big shots were you? are there among you? Verse 27, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And we would only glory in Jesus. It's his message throughout. Over and over, the theme reoccurs in the book. Look in the second chapter. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus the Messiah and him crucified. And I was with you, look, in weakness and in fear and much trembling. The mighty apostle Paul. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Strength out of weakness. Now let's go all the way over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Some of the believers were not impressed with Paul outwardly. And you're talking, the, the, the church of Corinth at that time is less than the amount of people in the building here. And he says this in verse 9 of chapter 10, I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters, for they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Yeah, Paul writes these big, this is, meets the guy, says nothing, he's a little guy, or he's weak, he's, he's nobody. Nothing imposing about him. I remember the, the Living Bible, which was a paraphrase, said, you've never heard a worse preacher. Or he writes these big, strong letters, and this nothing guy shows up. Notice the word weak again. Then in, in, in the 11th chapter, he's saying, all right, look, I'm going to open my heart. Second Corinthians in particular is one of his most personal letters. And he's going to pour out his heart here. And... and and, and say, look, you follow all these super apostles, they're, they're so big, okay, I, I got to be crazy to talk like this, but I'm going to do it. You think they're good? I'm better. I've suffered more. I'm hated more. I'm rejected more. 
They want to boast? Okay, I'm going to boast. So he goes on. It's an extraordinary list in 2 Corinthians 11. You say, boy, I'd love a ministry like Paul. Think twice. <laughs> I mean, what he went through is unreal. Verse 24 of chapter 11. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from our own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. That's really happened. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure of me and my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who's made to fall and I'm not indignant? If I must boast... I will boast of the things that show my weakness. There it is again. It's a consistent theme through First and Second Corinthians. And then after he talks about his narrow escape from Damascus, chapter 12, he begins to speak of a man that was caught up to the third heaven. He's speaking about himself, but in a third-person, modest way. Caught up to the third heaven. Heard things there that cannot be repeated. Paul said, okay, if I'm going to boast, I'll boast about somebody like that. And then he says this. Verse 7, 2 Corinthians 12, 7. So to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated or too lifted up. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, am I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. What a revelation. What was Paul's thorn? Scholars have debated it. Church leaders have debated it for centuries. My view, it was the unusually intense persecutions that he experienced, which other scholars believe as well. That wherever he went, remember, this is to keep him from being proud because of the, the level of revelation he received, that this was a way of, of, of keeping him from getting self-inflated. Wherever he goes, picture this. You, you preach this incredible message, the sick are healed, and a set of crowds coming around and you say, Paul, what an amazing message. God's really using you. You're a man of God. Instead, he's being dragged out of the city and beaten. Or after your great, greatest ministry ever, you're now in a prison cell alone, whipped and beaten and chained. This was a satanic attack, but one that God allowed as part of the gospel and it was a way to keep Paul humble. God says, my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. My presence with you, my empowering your life is sufficient. And my power is made perfect out of your weakness. And, and no one can question where the power is coming from, what the source is. It's clearly God. It would be like this. Let's say I had a powerful healing ministry. And, and before I would begin to pray for the sick, I, I'd begin to quote verse after verse after verse in Hebrew. And let's say I'd memorize them in Greek and, 
And verse after verse, I'd say, I feel the Spirit coming on me. And next thing I quote, like 300 verses in the original languages. You're like, I, I can't even quote one in English. I could never do that. And then just out of the midst of it, I said, now people are being healed. And they start suddenly getting healed. What are you thinking? I could never do that. How does he do that? I could never do that. But if, if I came up here, and I'm actually on, on crutches because I hurt my, my leg, I'm like, this is the oddest thing lately. Just, I don't know. It seems like when I just say, Jesus, come, people start getting healed. It's the oddest thing. And next thing, people start screaming and jumping up. And you're not saying, how did he do? It's like, God, you're amazing. You realize it wasn't the vessel. It was the Lord doing the work. In August of 2014, I told Nancy that I realized I had to make a change in my lifestyle. I was over 90 pounds heavier than I am now, had high blood pressure, was just getting tired with my nonstop schedule. Other blood tests weren't good. My bad cholesterol was high and good was low. And I just knew I was, I was not a glutton. I was a lifetime unhealthy eater. I used to have Oreos for breakfast as a boy. I could, I could live on New York pizza every, I did, years, had it every day, every day for years. And this unhealthy living was catching up to me. And I, I told Nancy, okay, I, I need to make a radical change. And she said, because she had been eating super healthy and it transformed her own life. She said, okay, nothing passes through your lips without my permission. I'm going to control what you eat. So I went cold turkey. God set me free in December of 71 instantly set me free from the needle. I was a heavy drug user. They used to call me drug bear, iron man. I was shooting heroin and any other drugs I could put in my arm and using LSD and speed, everything. Crazy drug user. I was instantly set free, no withdrawal, no, just instantly, December 17th, 71, boom, end of subject by the grace of God when he saved me. Okay, so now, now it's time to give up sweets, to break my addiction to chocolate. And that was much, much harder than giving up the needle. I'm telling you the truth. I went through three miserable days of withdrawal. I'm going to tie all this in. Do you think, what are you preaching this message? Are you talking about food? It's all going to make sense. So I, it's miserable. And I'm thinking, okay, I don't know much about nutrition, but I know enough to realize that poisons Toxins are leaving my body. There must be a lot of bad stuff that's leaving. That's why I'm feeling like this. So it's good that I'm feeling bad. By the third day, it's just, this has to end. And I was praying late at night, third, that, that third night. I'm saying, God, I said, you were so real to me. Jesus, you were so real to me in 71. And you were so beautiful that you instantly set me free from drugs. You got to help me now. And I said, surely the power of the Holy Spirit is greater than the power of peanut M&Ms. <laughs> so after three days, it broke. The, the withdrawal broke and all the other stuff, the breads and whatever else, and stuff I was addicted to, and I'm free. Now it's a matter of changing my mindset, renewing my mind. And I began to realize, okay, food is my reward. You know, I'm in ministry. I'm going day and night. Maybe I'm overseas and I preach three times on a Sunday and it's a week of day and night ministry. I get back to the hotel. Okay, you're done. 
well, I'm not going to watch something unclean. I'm not going to get drunk. I'm not going to get high. And I can eat. That's perfectly legitimate. And I can eat whatever I want because I deserve it. So I realized that the food was just built in as a reward. As I'm writing all night, I'm snacking. Why can't Because I'm writing. And I remember asking myself a question. Why would I want to take the grandkids to a fun family movie if I can't have popcorn and nonpareils? Because nonpareils, these little you know, chocolate things, that's what I'd get at the theater. I didn't normally get them, but at the theater. And it hit me. You don't go to the movies with your grandkids for a fun family movie for the food, but to have fun with the grandkids. But the food was the built-in reward. So I had to renew my mind. So I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing good now. It's two to three weeks into this that I, I get home from radio, take a short nap. Now I've got to go teach a night class at our ministry school. And I just woke up with this intense craving for something sweet. And I thought, that's okay. Sweet tooth, healthy sweets. Have some fruit. This is natural, good. Have some fruit. For some reason, we didn't have any fruit in the house. Now, literally in one day now, I eat more fruit than I used to eat in a whole year. I just didn't eat fruit. So, but somehow this day, because we had stuff in that we didn't have fruit. And I'm thinking, oh, I, really, I got to eat. I want something. And I got to go teach now. And I thought, okay, let me, let me just run. I don't have time to go to a grocery store, but on the way, there's a convenience store, you know, at a, at a gas station. Maybe they have some fruit. Now, I've never in my life gone into a convenience store at a gas station looking for fruit. It's not what they're famous for, right? But I, I, I run in, it's like, oh, no, there's no fruit here. Because I'd seen, like, sliced up fruit. One so I, another store I pass, I run in, and there's some juices. And Nancy, I remember telling me, don't, you don't want to drink juices because they have a lot of sugar content in them, and it's not. So I find, like, naked juice. Maybe this will work. Maybe this is, like, healthier. And, and, and I remember I, I, I drank, like, half a bottle. And, and I'm sitting in the car, literally, the building is right here. I mean, get out of my car, walk in the building. It's two minutes before seven when I'm supposed to teach, and I hit bottom. I sat in the car and began to cry. <laughs> I can't take it. I'm literally crying to God because the thought hit me. The rest of your life, you're never going to have a slice of pizza. The rest of your life, you're never going to have a bowl of chocolate ice cream. The rest of your life, you're going to have to live like this and looking for fruit at the convenience store. The rest of your life, traveling around, it just it overwhelmed me. And I literally began crying in the car. I can't take it. And at the very same time, I was literally coming to the end of myself. I was watching myself from another angle. It's hard to describe, but it's like I was out of my body watching myself laughing at me. And I was laughing at my weakness and wimpiness, saying, this is perfect. This is where you needed, you needed to come to that breaking point. You needed to get to the end of yourself. You needed to get to the, I can't, I can't, to come to that place of strength out of weakness. Now, I use this illustration because it's embarrassing and silly, and it's, it's not a real life and death issue. But it just illustrated in a moment of time the whole thing I'm talking about. When you hit that breaking point, when you're in the valley of the shadow of death and you feel like you're surrounded by fear, when the sentence of death is over you, when, when the circumstances are just beyond you. And I knew in the midst of it, this is perfect. 
This is exactly what needed to happen. I put no trust in me. Me was I can't. God in me was all things are possible. God in me was I'm going to carry you through. God in me was of course you can't, but I can. See, there was a time when I would have said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's going to be, I can. That, was, that, that, that self-confidence mingled with God-confidence until it became, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's a whole different attitude. And by the way, that was it. I never had a crisis thereafter. And by God's grace, haven't deviated a single day from the healthy eating. And it's absolutely, gloriously, wonderfully life-transforming. But my whole attitude is I put zero trust in me and 100% trust in him. And then with that, we can do all things. With that, there's a holy confidence. So friends, the reality is in this world, we go through these valleys we go through these dark places. I wish it wasn't the case, but it's the case until Jesus comes. There are trials, difficulties, challenges. And the word tribulation, which so many are so afraid of, we've got to be raptured before a tribulation or something like that. This is a common word in the New Testament. Trouble, pressure. Romans 5, Paul says that our character grows through tribulation. And at the end of Romans 8, it's one of the very things, the first on the list, that will not separate us and cannot separate us from the love of Christ. Tribulation. So I'm not saying have a gloom and doom mentality. My own mentality remains massively optimistic. Today's great. Tomorrow's going to be even better. I'm always expecting the sun to shine brighter. It's just the way I'm wired. It's my expectation. And I wore my family out for years saying the best is yet to come. I said, unless you're going to hell, the best is yet to come. That's the reality. John Wesley's dying words, and best of all, God is with us. If, if we can take hold of that reality, even in the valley of the deepest darkness, you are with me. Therefore, there's no fear. As we were driving here, as a passenger, I just tweeted out that I would much rather have a long, dangerous, difficult journey with God than a smooth, easy, easy, short journey without God. And if we can just learn without having to go through the crisis, without having to reach that breaking point, if we can incorporate this as a mentality, strength out of weakness, God's strength manifests through us. Even, even when God gives us influence in politics, and even when we have large numbers and majorities and things like that, we never put our trust in that. We never put our trust in earthly power. We never put our trust in, in earthly numbers. Our trust is always in the gospel. Our, our trust is always in the foolishness of the cross, not our eloquence, not our ability. If you've got a massive budget, millions of dollars in the bank, our trust is still in the simplicity of the cross, simplicity of the gospel, and the simple truth, God is with us. So I, I want to pray for you right now, those for whom this message is especially applicable because you find yourself in this valley now or you find yourself in this situation of it is above and beyond my ability to endure. I want that revelation. I want to pray that revelation will, will come to you where God's reality takes over, where, where out of that sentence of death comes the reality of spiritual resurrection. And out of our weakness, 
God's strength is made perfect. And then we rise up together, and then we say we are overcomers in Jesus. We are more than conquerors. It's a new confidence because it's a confidence on the other side of the cross. It's a resurrected confidence. Amen? So let's pray. Let's close our eyes. And if, if what I spoke today is, is especially relevant to you, why don't you just raise your hand before the Lord? Thank you. Just raise your hand to acknowledge it before the Lord. Father, you see everyone with raised hands and those who are even too despondent to raise their hands. I pray, oh God, that they would not look to themselves, that they would not look to circumstances, but that they would put their trust in you, that naked, bare faith in you and you alone, and that you would carry them through. You would bring the resurrection out of the crucifixion. You would bring the strength out of weakness. You would bring the light out of darkness. You would bring your presence in the midst of the valley. And Lord, for everyone else, Lord, may there be a, a confidence in you. May there be a growth in our expectation of your grace to carry us. And may you bring us into another level, Lord. The world is hurting. The world is confused. Society around us has lost its way. May we come with a message of life and hope. Life out of death. Resurrection out of crucifixion. Make it real to every one of us, I pray, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. For more information about Awake Church, visit awakechurch.com.